Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that includes everything you need to ace your GRE exam. A full textbook, videos on key topics, tons of GRE questions that are backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, a built-in study planner, machine learning essay grader, and, of course, plenty of full practice exams. You can try it out for free by visiting Achievable.me, and if you like it, please use the code PODCAST to get 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we've got Kaylin Grace Apple from Accepted Consulting with us, and Kaylin, I'd love if you could just introduce yourself to our audience for those that weren't on the last episode. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Tyler, for having me on the podcast, and thank you all for listening. My name is Kaylin Grace Apple. I'm a third-year PhD student, soon-to-be candidate in History and African American Studies at Yale. I am also the founder of Accepted Consulting, which is a graduate admissions firm focused on providing access for first-generation and non-traditional students to find pathways to and through higher education from community college all the way through graduate study in the U.S., Canada, EU, EU, and UK, and then also the founder of Accepted Society, which is an online virtual community platform for academic-minded people. So this includes students, professors, as well as postdocs and independent researchers who just want to nerd out with one another. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, fantastic. And so today we're going to be talking about um, what are the resources that you can find or basically create for yourself when you're going to graduate school that can help you both, one, be successful, um, but two, lead a more fulfilling life. And I really like the, the sort of the two angles there. Um, so, I, I mean, why don't you take it away? Kind of how do you start this conversation off with your clients or just people that you're talking to? So there's kind of two parts to this conversation. So there's the resources that I recommend for people to really seek out when they're thinking about applying to graduate school and really considering the process. And then there's the resources within graduate school that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. And to begin with thinking about the resources going into graduate school, A lot of people think of the graduate admissions process very similar to undergrad. However, it is like applying for a job and it is much more similar to the process that you would go through going into a new industry and trying to establish yourself in that you want to go through informational interviews, for example. So I recommend talking to current graduate students. There's also a burgeoning group of online graduate student creators on Instagram, TikTok, some on YouTube, including myself, that put out content about what it's like to be a graduate student. And I think that some of those resources are really important to tap into because you want to know what you're getting yourself into and also how it is that you can set yourself up for success, not only to get accepted, but how it is that you can, for example, establish communications with a potential advisor so that way you're able to hit the ground running when you start a PhD. Mm -hmm. And also, for example, really leaning on your mentors and really establishing those relationships with potential recommenders, but also these are people that are going to be your colleagues in the future. So for example, when I was in college, I would go to office hours all of the time with my professors just so that way I would get to know them and and so that way I could also voice the things that I really wanted to be exploring. And when I went to graduate school, it made sense to them why I was applying to graduate school. And those are people that are that are still my my mentors. But now I honestly view them more as my colleagues, because, for example, when I'm in L.A., we'll just 
grab lunch and talk about research and talk about recent publications and whatnot. So start seeing graduate school as a career move, not just an extension of school and seeking out resources for information along the way as you're applying. On the other hand, the other piece that I mentioned is the resources once you're in graduate school. And every program is funded a little bit differently. Sometimes you have a stipend. Sometimes you just get your tuition covered. Sometimes your health coverage looks a bit different depending on where you're at. But one thing that, for example, people aren't aware of is that most graduate programs, especially in the United States, have mental health services that is part of your health insurance coverage. And so, for example, when I have students that are reaching out to me that are starting a PhD this year, I say, okay, go ahead and like the second you quote unquote matriculate or you receive that healthcare coverage, for example, like find a healthcare provider, figure out who you're primary physician is going to be, figure out uh, doing a general screening if you want mental health care coverage and support later on in the PhD. And additional resources, for example, are like research positions that you might acquire while you're in graduate school. And in order to be made aware of those, while many of those research positions get listed in the to the email listserv by the department registrar, a lot of research positions are actually divvied out by word of mouth. And for example, being very clear when you come in and talking to your advisor or talking to other people around the types of things that you really want to be learning, that is another way for people to then provide one resources in terms of opportunities uh, that includes research positions, talks that includes archives that includes other things that are opening up that you might not be aware of unless you had a community of people to tap into. And so those, those are just a few to name, but also there's there's also additional funding that people just aren't aware of and don't really apply for. Uh, just because you're starting a PhD program, for example, that is fully funded doesn't mean you aren't also eligible for other types of scholarships and grants as you're applying. So... <clears throat> There's a variety of different things that I think that people are just unaware of. Yeah. Well, so what are the key things that you want people to always look for, right? Because I think it is going to vary school by school. Yeah. From the very beginning, I would say find community is the number one thing that I recommend for incoming graduate students. Whether you're starting a master's degree, a professional degree, or you are starting a PhD, your community is going to define your intellectual process. It's going to help determine your mental health and your ability to handle stress. And this is one thing that I don't think I did very well at the very beginning of my PhD, because when I came in, it was during COVID, and we were all online, and I didn't make a really significant effort to make connections with people in my cohort. However, what I did find was community outside of my program and outside of outside of Yale. And that was why I started Accepted Society, because I wanted... Honestly, I just wanted people to study with. Like I missed going to the library and having people to work with. And so finding people that can be your community and your accountability buddy and all of that, I'd say that's something to keep an eye out for at the very beginning. And having 
a network, I think your network is is the primary resource that you're going to lean on as a graduate student, right. but in life in general as well. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, certainly I, I've been a business person. So business school network is like a key piece of the reason everybody goes. So it's kind of not only expected, but it's kind of like built into like the, you know, onboarding process. I feel like that's maybe not always the case for some academic fields, though. Is that, do you, is that true? That is true. I had a very different experience with graduate school in the UK than I did with graduate school in the US. Mm-hmm. For example, I, I went to Oxford for my master's, in which case you had the college system, in which case you, within your college, would be around other graduate students who are very likely not in the same field as you. And so I had a friend group that had a computer scientist and a political scientist and an archaeologist. And mm-hmm. I think that made for a type of community that was really supportive, but also wasn't competitive and where people felt like they could talk about their research, but it wasn't a space where you felt that you had to kind of guard um, information or any, anything of that nature. Whereas, well, and it wasn't like all consuming, right? Like when it's like you're all in poli sci and all you talk about all day is poli sci and then you go exactly. hang out at lunch and it's also poli sci. Like it's probably exhausting at a certain point. Whereas I don't think the, the US system of graduate school has quite gotten the memo because the way that they really structure kind of social events, it's very departmentally differentiated. There are other mm-hmm. communities within Yale if you go and seek them out, but it's not quite the same system of intermixing disciplines and getting people to meet that way. And so what I recommend to incoming graduate students is like go to events that are not just in your department to like try to go see what the the research institutions are doing, try to see if, for example, that there's a show going on at the music school or something along those lines, try to find the things that you find really fulfilling and interesting beyond your studies, because usually the community that is going to be the most kind of fulfilling to engage with is going to be there, not necessarily just in your department. And while I think it's important to develop camaraderie and develop community within your department, I also think it's really critical to seek out resources and information and support elsewhere, because oftentimes it is those kind of external communities that you've then become a part of. Those are the ones that honestly are the most beneficial in terms of getting you access to resources and getting you access to information that you might not otherwise have known about, because they're in a very different setting within the university or people that aren't even at your institution at all and see what communities also exist within your city with where the school is located and be able to engage with those communities as well or engage with people beyond your institution because also that in and of itself is very fulfilling having something that grounds you in being an adult and not just being within the institution. Right. Well, at the end of the day, you are an adult at this point. And, you know, what are your peers doing? The peers that are not going to graduate school? Well, they're going to work and then they're usually hanging out with people after work, right? So you've kind of Mm got to do your own version of that. Um, Precisely. It's probably, 
Yeah, I think maybe the the other question I maybe had, and I'm just curious, what you, do you feel like alumni communities for your particular organization are worthwhile to pursue, or is it kind of too soon and you need to kind of get out of the school first? I'm not entirely certain. I would say that my alumni network from my college is still really close-knit, and those are people that I would reach out to. In terms of graduate schools, and this is something that I actually had discussed with the committee, we had the diversity committee and the graduate student advisory committee in my department. We had had many conversations about trying to set up a network of alumni. So that way, current graduate students could kind of see where they've ended up and what kind of career trajectories are available to them and all of that. I find that graduate programs are a lot less organized and invested in ensuring that there are networks of communication with their alumni. So I think it would be Mm. valuable. Um, I just think that that information is often not as readily accessible as many of the alumni network systems are after leaving university. Right. Interesting. So yeah, I think that that's all like all a really good point, really. You've got to take care of your mental health first. Generally speaking, the best way to have good mental health is to have a social network or at least it's certainly very helpful um then sort of when we're talking about like help you succeed i think that the next part that i'd want to go to is like succeeding academically right or succeeding i don't know if you'd call it academically or in your career within that program or however you want to put it um, yeah. but yeah, like, how would you say, what do you, how do you set yourself up to succeed within your program? The most important thing in my opinion is, is practice. So for example, one of the things that I found to be the most useful and best investment of my time was for example, like attending conferences, even before I was ready to present myself. And Mm -hmm. conferences are expensive because they often require travel. They often require finding accommodation and those types of things. And if that is something that your university is not supportive of in terms of financial support, then I would also look at, for example, events that are happening at your university. Because the thing that really sets up a graduate student for success is is network, novel research, as well as kind of just general work ethic. And, and there are various mm-hmm. other factors. But when you go to conferences, the reason you're going is one, to network, but two, to stay current and to be mm-hmm. very readily aware of what is being done in your field of study. And then in terms of the second piece, which is kind of excelling academically or trying to develop your research and your writing quality and those types of things. Tapping into the resources at your graduate school, most of them have writing centers. Almost every R1 institution that I'm aware of has has a writing center within the university, and some of them have them specifically embedded within the graduate school. So tapping into those resources, because for example, the, the Purvu Center here at Yale offers writing groups. It offers Um, opportunities for teaching, training, and pedagogy. They also offer opportunities, for example, to meet with a writing tutor so that you can improve your prose and your papers, or you can prepare a manuscript for publication, that kind of thing. 
there are often a lot of resources and events that are available to you, but most people just feel quite overwhelmed by the volume that is available to them and doesn't don't quite know what, where to get started. My recommendation there is get started early because it's a lot easier, for example, to attend a bunch of events in the first two weeks of a program. And then at least you have your foot in the door and you're much more willing to go back later on if you do actually need help than to need help six months down the line and have never tapped into those resources and feel really overwhelmed and not know where to start. So mm-hmm. check out what resources are available at the beginning so that way you can begin improving uh, your writing or that you can, for example, they have other types of professional development things that focus on time management or focus on how it is to actually develop a writing practice and things of that nature. But then I would say the third aspect to that is communication with your advisor and with your committee and really seeking out support and feedback. There are professors that are unwilling to provide that kind of support. Hopefully, if you've gone through the admissions process, especially if you've gone through the admissions process using accepted, that you are not in a situation where you are with an advisor that is not supportive and is not going to provide that feedback. But being able to have somebody that you can you can turn to and say, I'm working through this idea and I really need some support and who's willing to have that conversation with you. I think that that's really critical to your development and having that consistent feedback and trying to figure out how to work with your advisor early on is another aspect of having long term success in your program, but also just kind of long term fulfillment. Uh, because you want to make sure that you have a a good relationship with your advisor. Right. Well, and that kind of answers my third question a little bit that I think I'll pose it to you anyway, Um, which because you said that the three things that make a successful graduate student are network, work ethic, and a novel idea. Yeah. So, you know, how do you, the novel idea part was the one I was going to ask about. It sounds like getting your advisor's Feedback and guidance is crucial to that. But is there anything else that you would say is important to manifest for that? The other aspect of it is having a general idea coming in. And in our previous conversation, we had talked about this a bit. But when you have a kind of clear idea of where you want, what type of research you want to be involved in, in your career, then it begins shaping the types of opportunities that you're seeking out. But in addition to that, you also have kind of a general idea of what it is that you're looking to do, but then you're open to as many opportunities along the way as possible. And that includes, for example, having conversations with people that aren't in your field of study. The biggest breakthroughs that I've made in my own research has been because I talked to somebody who is a classics major or is getting a PhD in English literature. And they say one thing that completely changes the way that I begin thinking about my project. And that in terms of practical advice, I would say don't silo yourself within your field of study and don't silo yourself, especially within your subdiscipline, because most of the best ideas that you're going to have and the way to approach your research in a novel way is to think in a novel way. And the way that you do that is by opening up your spheres of influence and having a general idea, but then thinking about how it is that different perspectives lend itself to you thinking about your project in a new way. Right. Got it. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then 
we've covered kind of with you know being successful sort of spiritually i guess academically um and so then what else is there to that people should really be thinking about right is it kind of to make like is it setting yourself up on the career side for that for after graduate school is it making sure that you're set up for success in terms of your like your financials or your living situation i mean what else do you want to cover i would say the thing that i one message that we've we've talked about over the last couple of conversations is when you treat your graduate student or your graduate school career as part of your career you mm-hmm. also begin developing skill sets that extend beyond what is necessary for your individual project and so for example one thing that I think is really going to set humanities scholars apart in the future are those who actually know how to do like computational text analysis and they know how to do qualitative research in a similar way that social scientists have done for years. Mm. And when we begin incorporating new methods, not only does it help improve our research, but it also makes you more marketable, not only in the academic job market, but it also makes you marketable in a variety of other ways. And one thing that I've done the entire time I've been in graduate school is, funny enough, I I go check LinkedIn probably once a week. Mm -hmm. And I go look at all the job listings that I'm quote unquote eligible for. And I have general like search terms and things that I have populate on LinkedIn jobs for me. The reason I do hmm. that is because I want to ensure that the type of skill set that I'm developing is something that is both applicable to the academic field as well as go- is going to be marketable elsewhere. And this is where there are, for example, resources like your university is going to have job listings um, from like there, I'm trying to think of the way to describe it, but there's there's like LinkedIn for your university. Almost all schools, at least the ones that I've attended, have it. In which case, you can tap into those things and see, like, where did other history students end up? Where did other students from this institution end up? And what what kind of skill set did they have? What did their resume look like? And just keep an eye, just do a little bit of market research. It's not so that way you can leave academia and go get a job right now. It's that way you're always aware of what your market value and what your marketable skills are mm-hmm. and how it is that you would you would pivot depending on a variety of circumstances. So, for example, if you were to leave academia after finishing a PhD and go on to the industry traditional Altac job market, what opportunities are available to you? If, for example, the first time that you're thinking about it is when you are handed your diploma, you're in a bit of a difficult spot. But if you've been thinking about this four years out, you're like, okay, I saw that this person said that this job listing has that they need three years of experience with this type of technology. Okay, I one, I see how that technology can both work in the long term, but I also actually see some applications for that in my research. Maybe that's a novel approach. Mm-hmm. So there's there's various ways to do it, but I would also say the other part of having foresight and being proactive is thinking about 
what resources or what kind of flexibility your program allows. So that way you can begin developing these other skill sets. And oftentimes, for example, there's there's coding courses or you can sit in on undergraduate lectures for free as a graduate mm-hmm. student. So you can get a lot of these resources from your institution and you can you can leverage that both within your academic career as well as your future career, whatever that may be. Right. Well, and like we we talked about um, last time, frankly, as much as it's not a walk in the park, you do have more flexibility when you're in graduate school than when you have a nine to five job that gives you, you know, maybe 10 vacation days a year. Um, So something like taking a computer science class is a lot more feasible and something that you can work around. Right. It's an opportunity that maybe you won't have later. Precisely. Yeah, I think it's really smart. I think just in, I I like your approach because in general, the other thing you're going to be able to identify if you keep doing what you're doing is, and you probably already do this, is uh, trends and things that are Mm -hmm. persistent and things that are not, right? Like you can, I'm sure that there's a bunch of listings now that are like asking about AI or something, and maybe that'll be different in two years and maybe it won't. Um, But being able to kind of just give lots of data points on these things is, is a good way to make sure that you're collecting the right uh, scraps for your resume as you're going along. Exactly. Um, And then the last part of this sort of our prompt today is what are the resources available that for graduate school that help you lead a fulfilling life? And I liked this angle because you don't just get to have to be a slave to your professor and or work. Um, you can actually have a nice life. And I think you talked a little bit about some of these already, particularly, you know, building a social network that is outside of just your school, having activities and interests that are just outside of your academic activities and interests. Um, is there anything else that you'd recommend? There's, there's many things that I recommend, but I would say that the way that graduate school is set up, because you don't have a whole lot of contact hours, most of the work that you do is really self-directed and, for some people, this is great. For me, I have a mind where I, I am quite self-determined. But if you need that kind of structure, I wouldn't recommend graduate school just because you have so much unregulated time. But because you have so much unregulated time, that also opens up the opportunity for you to, for example, co-work with your peers. So one thing that I will do, like I have a long distance partner and he lives five hours ahead of me. And so we can co-work over Zoom because he works from home and I have the flexibility to kind of work wherever I need to. And when the school year is not acad- like actively in session, it also means that I can work from just about anywhere. And that's not necessarily the case for some graduate programs, for example, if you're if you're really lab based. However, you can really use the ebbs and the flows to work for you. And in terms of leading a fulfilling life, I talked about this in the other episode, but I think it's important to mention that, for example, if you have hobbies or if you have side hustles or things that you're really interested in developing, you have the flexibility to do so. And so you can kind of carve out the time to make your schedule work for you. Because like I said, there's not a whole lot of contact hours. So you can say, for example, I would really like to work on this one hobby for two hours on a Tuesday, where if you were in a traditional nine to five, that would have to be relegated to the evening or 
really early in the morning. And then all you really have is the weekends to be to be flexible with. And so I think using the flexibility of the academic calendar and the flexibility of your academic schedule to ensure that not only can you do the work for your PhD on your own kind of schedule, but also you can slot in the things that are really fulfilling for you and make that a priority in a way that doesn't interfere with your profession <laughs> or if, right. it, if anything actually contributes to it. Yeah. Great. And any kind of like, um, as we wrap this topic up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to cover or any parting thoughts? The last piece of advice that I have is that there's also a lot of kind of financial resources within universities that people just aren't aware of and don't tap into. Um, mm. So for example, there's, there's fellowships. So for example, I got a grant last year to go do archival research, but that covered my plane and my hotel to go to the UK for a month. That's a lot of money, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so it worked really well in my favor. So that way that money wasn't directly coming out of pocket. I mean, there was money for food and things of that nature, but I was able to both do my work, but I was also able to travel somewhere where I really wanted to be for the summer and where I could meet friends and I could be around, uh, be around people. And that's where I I met my partner, for example. And so you can also tap into funding and then find ways to maneuver that funding. So that way you can also incorporate things that you'd really like to see and do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually a great thing to end on. Um, Definitely take advantage of the money aspect of things because it's one of the big benefits that you know, you could literally be living, leaving money on the table <laughs> if you don't take advantage of it. Precisely. Well, thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Kaylin Grace Apple from Accepted Consulting. And Achievable has a great online GRE course you can try for free by going to achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to get 10% off.